Hi, welcome to the Happy Startup School Community Podcast. It's me, Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and I'm here at our Altitude Retreat in Morion, in the French Alps. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lovely day. Uh, we had rafting today. Uh, feeling a bit tired. Um, it's been a busy couple of days. I don't know if any of you have seen a recent post that I put onto LinkedIn talking about altitude and turbulence. Um, I won't go into too much detail there. I'll let you try and find that on LinkedIn if you can. But yes, it's a podcast day. And so uh, in this podcast, what's going on? Well, uh, for over a year and a half, I've been coaching various members of our community on a one-to-one basis. And I've got great joy from working with these people one-to-one uh, and helping them get clarity about what's ahead of them and what's getting in their way. And I, and my intention is I, I want to help people create purposeful businesses without burning out. And I want to be the best that I can be at that. And so... In this episode, um, I had the opportunity to talk to Pete Mosley about coaching and mentoring, uh, and it was an amazing privilege. And now, uh, Pete was a speaker at our 2017 summer camp, uh, and he says uh, the way he describes himself is he leads a portfolio existence. He's a keen writer for and contributor to um, Psychology Magazine and the Quiet Revolution website. He's also a coach for people who aren't comfortable with self-promotion and he also delivers training and group coaching. Um, And he was trained uh, as a coach with barefoot coaching. And that's what I was curious about because I'm I'm wanting to know, should I get training? Um, Would that be the best thing to do and and with who? Um, So in this episode, uh, we talk about coaching and what it means to him and the difference between coaching and mentoring and also the hidden hurdles that get in our way. I hope you enjoy. Diversion on his life, but it's a hell of a story, really, isn't it? Tinky Winky. And then he was he was um he was interviewing you about coaching. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he mainly, his audience is mainly creative people, both in the dramatic arts and other arts. Um, so it was about the book, the, you know, speaking up for less confident people was the main topic. Okay. Cool. So it's, uh, and, and how was that as a, as a well, it's really interview? Nice. Yeah, really good experience. Um, I've put some links up to it somewhere. Uh, in fact, it's about time that I just put it back out on social media again, because it's quite a nice interview. Yeah. And so have you done many podcast interviews yourself? Over the years, many, yeah. I mean, for, in all sorts of places as well. I did one with a guy in Alaska. I did one <laughs> with a guy in Connecticut um, recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Just people who read the book and kind of go, that would be cool for my community. So they get in touch and we do something. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry for, for not briefing you in more detail about this. And I think... Um, so to give you a bit of context, you know, one of the reasons that I think it was, it was I was keen to talk to you was um, personally I'm kind of curious about uh, the coaching um, mm-hmm. 
approach and yeah. also because i've been working with a number of community members in that capacity yeah. i'm keen to become uh to serve people better in that way yeah. So that was one aspect. And I'm, and we also have many people in the communities who are either coaches or thinking about the idea of becoming a coach. So yeah. I thought that might be a conversation of use to them as well, to get yeah, your, sure. you're an experienced coach and you've, sure. you've done a lot of training in it. So that's okay. something that you can, and you have a lot of experience in it. Um, and then there's this, you know, because of the, the campfire, uh webinars that we've been doing together um there's this whole idea around conscious versus unconscious decision making yeah um, and these 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 values that that move us unseen values that move us or i can't yeah. remember how you phrase it sure yeah um uh, and then uh, so uh, kind of a, on uh, another subtext is that at the moment I'm recording a series of podcasts about summer camp okay. um, to basically give people a window into the types of people who uh, contribute to camp uh, and a feeling, you know, of what it's like to be there. Yeah. So maybe there's something that we can touch on there. And then the final thing, and these are a lot of threads to weave into, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm happy to go with the flow. Yeah. It is, you know, you're working on a new book, and so it's whether there was anything that you wanted to mm. test out in terms of ideas there, uh, yeah. um, through the process of the discussion. Okay. Okay. How's uh, that for you? A, yeah, that's quite a lot. <laughs> that's it's quite a lot. But, and. Uh, um, We'll, uh, you know, again, I, my intention with these is, you know, the maximum, maximum would be an hour. Ideal is about 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I don't hold, I th and for my intention really for anyone listening is that they'll, you know, get to know someone a bit better and they might learn something new. So yeah. trying not to overload it at the same time and I'm happy to go with the flow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. If that, if that works for you. That's fine. Yeah, and I mean, I'm obviously I'm quite happy for you just to stop and start. And if you if I give you something that doesn't sound quite right, we can go back and just do it again if you want. If you're up for that, no, thank you very much for that. I think um, you know another mantra at the moment for recording these podcasts is effortless to create and effortless to consume. Okay. So I'm very much a one take, warts and all conversation. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and and we just you know go along as as, yeah. as nature planned it. Of course. Okay. <laughs> um. So I, I like to I like to just flow into the conversation. I think there's yeah. you know podcasts. I've, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts and they're, they're very kind of like very structured beginning, yeah. telling you about what is it about and who's on it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um. At the moment, I quite enjoy just sit. Uh, the image I have is is two of us mm. at a table having a conversation, and the listeners essentially on the same table, just yeah. I don't know, basically listening in. Yeah. Um, and so the, I think maybe we start off with um, your, you know, you're you're an experienced coach. You you um, you've written. You're an author. Um, Maybe giving people who don't know much about you, uh, haven't heard of you before, 
um, a bit of a, a potted history of oh, maybe start off where you are now, what you do and mm. how you like to describe yourself. Mm. And then maybe a little bit of how you got into to this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Very happy to do that. Um, so I'm Pete Mosley and I'm one of those people uh, that earns my living um, through a variety of different means. It's a kind of portfolio existence that I have. But there are three main aspects to that. Um, one is that I'm a keen writer and I write a lot about coaching and the business of being creative. I'm a contributor to Psychology's magazine, uh, the online version of that. Uh, and I also contribute to Susan Cain's uh, Quiet Revolution website. So I spend a fair amount of time writing, more time actually thinking about it than the, the writing of the content. Um, I do a lot of one-to-one -one work with people, and my main specialism in that is helping folk that are really brilliant at what they do but not so good at the, the sticking their head above the parapet and, and promoting themselves both on looking at techniques for self-promotion, but I would say mainly on working with them to determine what the story is and build their self-confidence around that, and maybe to overcome the blocks and fears that go with that as well. And the third strand is uh, going out and delivering training and group coaching to people very much along the same themes. Um, I trained as a coach formally uh, about 10 years ago uh, with Barefoot Coaching, and it's a postgraduate certificate in coaching that's now accredited by the International Coaching Federation. So it's both a degree and an ICF uh, accredited course. Um, the reason I chose to do that was because I'd been a business mentor in the creative industries for about 15 or so years before that, and I really enjoyed the mentoring, but what I was finding was I was working with more and more people that were bringing up issues around confidence and their own internal stories and psychology, and I needed to learn more about how to deal with that, and I wanted to do that in a way that both gave me the information but also extra credibility and uh, a degree to go with it. Um, I originally trained as a fine artist, uh, went to art college <laughs> in the best tradition of the early 1970s uh, and worked as an artist in education for many years before Arts Council picked up on that experience and started training me up as a, a creative mentor. Um, so that, going back the way, that about the story of how I come to be doing what I'm doing now. Cool. So there's, uh, there's this... Um circuitous journey mm. um but it seems like there's a there's a thread there around creativity and um overcoming kind of barriers of confidence yes absolutely yeah um so the the interesting so there's two things maybe <clears throat> to start off with is this this difference between being a mentor and a coach um because I, I sometimes when i i see people who call themselves coaches uh, and I see them um, kind of work with people. Mm. Um, there's a distinction that I see that that the, in the way they interact that yeah. seems to blur the boundaries, or, or I think it seems to blur the boundaries. Yeah. Uh, do you have an opinion? Uh, yes, I do. And the opinion is that I completely agree with the the confusion that goes around the terms and the blurring of boundaries around the terms. And I think um, even 
culturally the understanding of coaching and mentoring is different. So I was working with a guy that's based in Portugal a few weeks ago and he was talking about mentoring and actually I was listening to him talk and I, I was thinking to myself, you know what, you're describing coaching as I know it um, and, and vice versa. I hear people you know, saying they're a coach and actually what they're doing is mentoring, they're advice giving, they're giving the benefit of their experience and responding to requests for for help where and when. I think in truth, um, wherever you sit on that spectrum, um, as long as the way you're working with the client is clear about how you're working at any given time, it's okay to move around and between those boundaries. Um, If I was engaged as a coach by somebody and I, I halfway through the the kind of process realized that actually what they were looking for was a bit of mentoring i might ask their permission to recontract and say is it is actually at this point what you need a bit of advice or signposting to stuff that might be otherwise useful to you thereby moving away from the pure coaching approach into something that's slightly different and then i may well move back again uh, according to their needs um, I, I seldom advertise myself strictly as a coach. I always say that it's a blend of coaching and mentoring and advice that, that I'm up for offering. And what people get is is what they agree at the beginning of the process to be the balance of, of my skills and expertise that suits them the best. Uh, and from what I got from your journey is that you started off mainly as a mentor. Yeah. But then you realized there was something deeper that needed to be addressed in order for them to take your advice yeah absolutely that's exactly what happened um and that's the fascinating thing for us at the happy startup school particularly myself and lawrence and we we started off essentially trying to help people launch their ideas by giving them advice so we had a lot of experience in and as the agency developing startup businesses particularly online um, we then try to advise people on how not to do it so that yeah. they didn't waste time and money. Yeah. But then a lot of the time they didn't take that advice. Mm. I don't know if there's a if you had a similar experience or you know re, you know seeing how people were just always getting stuck even though the answer was in front of their eyes. I, exactly, and I think that's the. In some ways, that helps encapsulate the difference between coaching and mentoring because a lot of people go for advice at the beginning of their startup journey and they get taught an awful lot of stuff about business structures and how to operate the mechanics of a business without really digging into the nature of the idea and whether they've ever tested it in any way mm. with anyone. And I used to come up across you know, people that had decided to set up a pottery business and they'd spent an absolute fortune on kilns and wheels and all of the stuff they needed to do it before they'd even tested out whether anyone wanted their particular brand of ceramics or not. And I, you know, I used to end up tearing my hair out about it because that process of testing and the, the kind of appreciative inquiry around the work needs to happen first to get the feedback on whether it's really hitting a pain point or solving a problem for anyone before you can then start about thinking about how you structure it as a business and who your ideal clients are and what you need to do to, to connect with them. Mm. So there's the thing that sprang to mind when you were talking. There's the idea in, a, in the kind of the startup lingo of 
uh, problem solution fit and is this something that people want yeah um but when i think of the coaching work that you you do and and the, the i think the the experiences i've had of talking to people starting something there's also the the venture entrepreneur fit mm-hmm. is this actually something you should be doing yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely couldn't agree more and how have you um which is a tricky one because well as an agency when we were trying to help people in that way is like essentially we were talking ourselves out of business by telling them that you shouldn't actually go forward with this idea yeah. um then as a as a mentor stroke coach Mm. Um, it feels like you know, people are happy to pay to get advice, yeah. but it's uh, more challenging for them to understand why it's valuable for them to spend time really understanding what's going on yeah. with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think half my time when I'm talking to people who are thinking about hiring a coach or a mentor and they're really not sure about it because folk are ever so confused about the terms. I'm always asking them questions about what it is they really need to be thinking about at that particular stage rather than rushing to solutions. Um, To me, one key difference between coaching and mentoring is that in mentoring, the onus is on the mentor to provide a supply of information and questions and advice, and that flow is from the mentor to the mentee. In in coaching, the flow is in the other direction. The coach asks questions which invite the coachee to the the coachee to think really deeply about what they're doing, and in some sense, they often have the answers or the strategies or the bits of research um, within them already. And it's just about bringing that to the surface, uh, helping them acknowledge what it is they really need to do first and then helping them set some goals in order to do that and taking it stage by stage. But the flow and the creativity and the energy is coming uh, from them. The other key thing about that is if if the flow is coming in that direction, it's much easier for them to take ownership of the whole thing, whereas if the flow is coming from the mentor, there can sometimes be a disconnect uh, with the mentee feeling they're just receiving stuff, but it's not particularly their stuff, and that can create difficulties so i've heard that uh, mentioned a lot with talking to coaches and and, and um this idea of taking ownership mm-hmm. um what does that mean to you and how, how does that impact someone when when they're not taking ownership i think it's about It's not about giving solutions or telling people what to do. It's about helping them become the best informed and best resourced person they can be so they can step up and make their own decisions about what comes next. Coaching is about championing somebody, helping them engage with what they're about to do really enthusiastically, helping them get rid of the blocks which may be to do with confidence or imposter syndrome or, or goodness knows, or procrastination or perfectionism. or There's a whole raft of things that stop us getting on with doing what we really want to do um, and setting them up on the journey in a fully informed way. I think that's what it's really about for me. And so there's um, when it comes to ownership, it's is it the difference between 
intrinsic and extrinsic motivation? Is that a way of looking at it? Well, that's absolutely the way of looking about it. I mean, if, if your motivation is all coming from outside, it, it, that's that's not helpful. It's, it, it doesn't flow. Um, it doesn't give the person on the other end of the process the feeling that they're really owning and embodying that. When the motivation is intrinsic, when you're doing it because it's something you really want to do, that you love to do, that's come as the fr- as the fruit of your own ideas and motivations, it's much, much easier to move towards those goals. There's a big difference, really. Uh, I mm. think you put your finger on something really important. And it's about meaning and purpose and, and pleasure. And, you know, according to positive psychology, you should only be setting goals for yourself that have meaning that make sense, that play to your strengths and, and that, that give you pleasure. Otherwise, the chances of ever attaining them um, are, are pretty low, frankly. <laughs> yeah, so there's um, so there's, there's this thing about, you know, there's, there are these things that are blocking you that you might not see mm-hmm. or you're going in a direction that doesn't necessarily suit you. Yeah. Um, and then the process of coaching is uncovering what it is that either uncovering what it is you should be doing or you, you need to be doing because there's something there that, that makes you come alive yeah. or uncovering what it is that's stopping you from doing the stuff that you're trying to do in the first place. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, um, the up-to-date approach, up-to-date approaches to coaching very much say that the business is around figuring out what what people are about, why they want what they want, what meaning it gives to them, and that all has to happen before you get anywhere near setting goals uh, for themselves. Um, because without that initial kind of divergent thinking, the chances are that you end up re- rushing to a solution or picking something off the shelf or just taking all the advice and rushing away and thinking, yeah, I know all about this now. I'm going to go off and just do it. I'm perfectly happy to do that. And then they run into the blocks. Mm. Um, whereas if you do the proper explanation, you can pick up whether you know perfectionism is getting in the way or whether somebody's um, even comes down to being scared of success in some respects. Some people, you know, they don't know how they'll cope if they're actually really successful with an idea. <laughs> Uh, the the word alignment springs to mind when you're talking um and there's you know this whole i think it's a gandhi definition of happiness where Mm. what you think what you say and what you do aligns um it feels like this you know that's that's kind of part of the the coaching process is is finding identifying the misalignment that they might not see. Yeah, or ident- identifying the alignments that they haven't seen yet. Um, I, I, a lot of the coaching process is about helping people identify the values that they're working to. And an awful lot of the people that I meet haven't really done an, a lot of work on that. They've maybe worked with some values cards, you know, where you get 50 different words that describe 50 different values and you pick a top 10 and you narrow it down and you'll get kind of integrity and professionalism and something else. But when you talk to people at a deeper level about their values and where they really come from, that's when you're more likely to tap into the stuff that really drives people along, gets them out of bed in the morning. 
And until they've engaged with their values at a deeper level, they can't begin to check how closely those values are aligned with what they really want to do. And if there's a mismatch between your goals and your values, you're just going to run aground. You'll, you'll, you will have no energy. You won't have any motivation. But when you get your values and your goals properly aligned, it, it tends to be a, a, a real source of energy and motivation. Um, and sometimes it can take a bit of work to get to that point. Hmm. So it sounds like that. That sounds kind of like the source of many people's burnout by working in that misaligned yeah. place. Yeah, you know, people people go into a job. They're really excited about it for a while, and then something changes. Either they begin to recognise that it's not quite the right space for them to be in, or the organisation changes and organisational values change, uh, and they feel that they're out of alignment with that. And then you know. Uh, then you're stuck really what do you do next and it's a source of a huge amount of of questioning and discomfort for people um i worked with a dentist last year uh, and he'd been a practicing dentist for you know 15 years or so and built up a big practice uh, and he just hit the point where he didn't want to do it anymore actually what he really wanted to do is he wanted to be an artist he wanted to be a painter because actually that's what he wanted to be when he was younger but his parents told him that that was a pointless exercise and he shouldn't be wasting his time trying to earn money from creativity and what he really needed was a successful dental practice just what he did he did what he was told and of course mm. you know later on completely ran aground because it had never been what he wanted to do anyway that's interesting there's that whole play and you know, i was thinking about this today it's like when you're in a place of not knowing what it is you want to do, um, you're you, you're very happy to just follow what someone else tells you to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that journey of of discovery. Um, I was thinking about this is like it's very much a, a creative process. It, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I I see a lot of frameworks and and systems, coaching systems that seem to present this coaching journey as, as quite a structured linear approach mm. and maybe that's me misunderstanding it but it feels like it's very emergent and dependent on the person yeah the the people adopt structured approach approaches to coaching because it enables them to to create a business model where they get a set amount of revenue from a set number of packages that they sell and a lot of, that appeals to a lot of coaches because the target then is to sell numbers of packages. Mm. Uh, or you get people that are interested in things that are nothing to do with structures and packages that, that, that approach coaching from the point that actually the most valuable thing about coaching is the quality of the relationship between the coach and the coachee, and that's the first thing that you need to establish. And once that quality relationship is established, then you can do a lot of really valuable work because there's trust and there's empathy and there's shared values right at the core of what you're doing from the outset. So it's not a business transaction. It's something much subtler. There's um, So I, I was listening to a podcast that Lawrence was on. Uh, it was recorded recently. Um and he was talking about kind of his journey to building the happy startup school mm. when we started it mm. and it was the, 
in a very much uh, emergent process is a is a kind of a chipping away of the things that he didn't like to finally get to the place that he liked <laughs> yeah uh, and the quote I think he used was from Michelangelo of every block of stone has a statue inside it and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it absolutely yeah yeah and it feels like that's kind of the relationship of the coach and the coachee that there's this block and they're they're working together to discover what the statue is inside yeah i think that's a wonderful metaphor for the process actually i would agree with that um and and the thing that sprang out for me is that you don't know how long that's going to take no and that's the other thing that is is tricky about subscribing to you know six week passive packages or you know, 10 sessions of coaching or whatever, because um, you can't always guarantee that it's going to happen within that space or time, or it might. In some cases, it happens much quicker than that. Um, I think you need to go into the process with an open mind as to how long it's going to take and how much support you might need. And um, that is an emergent process, I think. Mm. So there's, there might not necessarily be any clear goals that you can identify at the beginning. It's very much coming from a place of, I need, I want to explore. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it feels like, well, I, I've got this, maybe I'm biased. I kind of feel like this is kind of work that everyone should try and do. And I'm mm-hmm. even even for younger generations of, of having that level of self-inquiry is for me seems invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then a lot of people, you know, they shy away from it and then, and then life takes them in directions. They're not necessarily conscious of making those decisions. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, Einstein used to get his best ideas by going out and lying in a cornfield in the sun and just letting himself drift off to sleep, and his his mind would free up and his his analytical brain would start kind of working a lot more clearly, and, and he'd often have his best kind of learning and discovery moments when he was doing something that absolutely didn't look like work. And I think a lot of people think, if I'm going to go and play, that's not proper work. And in fact, sometimes the playing is absolutely the most important part of the work and the divergent thinking is the most important part of the work and the rushing towards solutions and answers and strategies is the is the most damaging part of the work sometimes because in the rush to get a solution, all the quality thinking goes out the window. There's, um, there's impatience. Yes, but how many of us are? Yeah, how many of us are brought up with a kind of hurry up driver? You know, when you're a kid, you know, your mum and dad are always going, "Hurry up! Stop doing that! Stop wasting time! Get on with it! You know, get your exams, get these things done, then everything's going to be fine." And it's the worst possible thing for for free thinking um, because you've constantly got this timer on your back saying, "You know, you've got to get this done by X time, or you're a failure." Just bonkers, really. It's um, yeah. It reminds me that it, it, people talk about this being a legacy of the industrial age, mm. and how everything was timed and and very process driven. Yeah. 
but now we're we're told we're living in, in an age of exponential change. Yes. <laughs> Not only is everything kind of structured and timed, but we're having less and less time to do the stuff. Yeah. 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 And so, oh yeah, you're going to say something. No, I mean, I just think it's a shame that that folks' lives have become so regimented in that way and time-bound and expectations-bound because it's not what human beings are meant to be like, <laughs> uh, really. No, and I think, well, so the, the, my impression is, uh, particularly in the business world and the startup world very acutely, um, there's this rush to be the next big thing or the rush mm. because things are changing and we live in an age of disruption to keep ahead of the curve. Yeah, And so we're needing to come up with new and innovative ideas quicker, but mm -hmm. we're having less and less time, as you said, mm. to let those ideas come about, i.e. less of us are lying in cornfields just daydreaming. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, and yet, you know, you look on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever social media you go to, and there's all of these memes exhorting the fact that we need to go and play and give ourselves time off and give ourselves time to think and I wonder just how much dissonance there is between those messages and what's actually happening in the real world where people are still coupled to the treadmill and they look wishfully at those things thinking, yeah, fine, but when am I going to get the time to do it? It feels if they're not tied to their computer screens trying to yeah. create some code or, or do business deals, they're tied to their Twitter feeds or their Instagram yeah. feeds trying <laughs> to share what's going on. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, so uh, uh, a clumsy segue in terms of thinking about taking time, slowing down, and giving giving ourselves space. Um, you were at summer camp a couple of years ago, giving yeah, a talk. Seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it was one of the most popular talks there. Everyone loved it. Everyone loves you. Um, but it's, it'd be, I think it'd be nice to hear your experience because it was the first time you, you, you'd experienced summer camp and, and been a part of it. Um, yeah. So it'd be I'm nice not... to hear what, what memories do you have of, of being on this farm <laughs> with a bunch of people that had met each other for the first time more or less? My enduring memories. Um, I think my enduring memories were, was just uh, to do with the amount of useful, thought-provoking conversation on a kind of deeply changing level. I think that happened within the space of you know what was it slightly less than seventy-two hours. I think. Mm. And listening to so many opinions and, and meeting so many people with open minds as opposed to people with with deeply held opinions and closed minds, which is what one might find somewhere else, I think that was a, a huge refreshing change for me going to something like that. And the fact that it was out of doors and the fact that it was, you know, um, huge contrasts within the day between um, time to be alone and and think deeply and time in the clamour of the barn where everyone was jostling for room and listening intently to what was going on and um, the speakers were being heck heckled by chickens as I recall <laughs> 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 you 
but that chaos is very fertile, isn't it? Yeah, there was something really fertile in the chaos. I think that's what I would like to say. Yeah, I think that's interesting about uh, what chaos and may I say like an uncertainty can create mm-hmm. um, if you let it. Yeah. And there's yeah. something around... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just agreeing with you. No, I was just saying there's something around um, how you... I, I have this sense, and well, maybe this is just me projecting, but I feel that you know a lot of people, they shy away from uncertainty. Uncertainty is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's something that you know by embracing it or accepting it. Yeah. Um, I think there's the phrase uh, I hate. It's one of those kind of like oxymorons that just get on my nerves. Like you know, expect the unexpected, but it's like the um, <laughs> get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's more of a case of just being accepting the discomfort and then sitting with it to be able to yeah. be curious about where it takes you. Yeah. I think I think the approach that you have at school is that the the message that you put out and the way that you work by nature attracts people who have open minds and a growth mindset. So it was no surprise to arrive an event where most of the people there were open and willing to grow and willing to participate. And that was really refreshing. And it's part of the kind of self-selection process that goes along in people's minds before they sign up. Um, So you're on a winner always before you start because you know you're going to have that uh, uh, lovely mix of people but all curious and open uh, and ready to jump in with both feet, I think. I'm curious about that because it feels like outside of of places like that, whether it's summer camp or the similar events that try and create that that sense of connection and mm-hmm. and I would say a safe space, seems like the world is is full of closed. Or it doesn't feel safe to be that open. Yeah, it's happening in little pockets. I think there are groups of people. Um, that are attempting to create that space. Uh, there are folk that have been really successful at using LinkedIn as a way of creating uh, LinkedIn meetup groups all over the world. Um, and there's people in the L&D community that run a thing called L&D Connect that they run all over the country. And those are those are very simply constituted groups that, that have almost no agenda but people just get together because of the like-mindedness and use it as an opportunity to connect and explore with stuff but it's that's in the minority i think really um other business networking meetings just seem to fall into very traditional structures and everybody's there to flog their product and give their business cards away Hmm. there's um there's like a difference well the, the way the way it sounds is there's a, a scarcity mindset in those kind yeah. of environments where it's very much about what can I get rather than what yeah. can I give? Yeah. yeah. What can I get out of my three minutes, my elevator pitch? You know? <laughs> and um, I, I, so coaching can fix it all. If we understood ourselves better, then we'd be less scared. But um, I think coming back to this idea of 
what I call it, maybe self-knowledge or kind of inner work. Mm. Um, it, it comes down, it feels like, to just creating our own definitions of success. Or is that, does that make sense? It, it does, absolutely. And your definition of success doesn't have to be any, anything like anybody else's. And it can be as unconventional as you like. Um, but I think you can only do that exploration once you've kind of uh, really recognized what your own inner demons are and, and have kind of named them and got them out of the way. Um, and the, the kind of work that I'm th thinking about and doing at the moment is about what what's that internal na narrative that we all have that pops it up and kind of clobbers us from time to time because we absorb those stories from very, very early on in our lives and even down to things like, you know, I'm not good enough or other people saying you're not good enough or you'll never do that or that's not a job, that's a hobby. And they get ingrained in us, don't they, those funny mm. messages about how competent and confident and credible we are in the world. And if, if you're not careful, they can just stop you dead in your tracks. And, you know, Part of my coaching work is around um, identifying what those things are, but I think also part of the work is around recognizing that we've all got those stories, that we need to look at them and really think hard about what those stories are and how well they're serving us and what the values are that go with them. Uh, and if necessary, we need to edit them and represent them and think afresh about how we operate and present ourselves in the world. Now, that's tricky. Um, because you know some of the demons are harder to get rid of than others. If you you know hardened per perfectionism is a, a really tricky beast to deal with. But I think you know you you dig deep within yourself to be able to work well with others. I think. I've um, on a previous uh, podcast I was talking to Max Saint John. I don't know if you mm -hmm. met him at summer camp when you were there uh -huh. yeah yeah and he does a, a course called how to fight well mm. and it is this you know I, I mentioned it because when you talk about how we work with others is really dependent on how much we know ourselves or how yes. well we can work with others and part of that is conflict yeah. um and i think bringing you know the what he talks about i think is triggers and i think that's yeah. partly what we're talking about there is like we're triggered, but we don't know yeah. how, why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated how we, uh, when this applies to like even large organizations and, 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 and businesses that decide, okay, we're going to change our operating system we're going to be flat structured we're going to have mm -hmm. no managers we're all going to work collaboratively and so there are these uh, systems like uh, holacracy and sociocracy mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. as a set of rules makes sense but actually if we yeah. still can't get past our own triggers and biases they're yeah. kind of destined to fail anyway yeah i don't know if yeah. they've had an experience of those types of systems or companies trying to be like that um i, I think I think companies, especially bigger companies, are beginning to embrace a change now with all the emphasis on uh, the product primarily came from um, thinking around gender pay gap and diversity and things like that. They realized very much that their 
kind of internal bias had meant they were just hiring the same sorts of people all over again, again and again and again, and wondering why they were getting the same results. So the the trend is very much moving away from, you know, thinking about hiring people because they're within a protected group and you, that's how you get your diversity to actually hiring people because of the diversity of thinking, hiring people that think differently. And even more recently, thinking around hiring people because of the diversity of attention. What do they pay attention to and how do they pay attention to things? And if you can hire with a mix like that, then then the chances of your doing something more innovative or diff, you know, or just that little bit different increase because you've got the diversity of thinking and the diversity of attention and of gender and everything else uh, within the workforce. So there are some folk that are really working hard on that, and and I like that. You know, I like that attitude towards let's not keep doing the same thing all over again and getting the same results. Yeah, I, I, that whole idea of I think groupthink and mm. and people just um, agreeing with each other because it's a feels like a, a safe way of thinking. Yeah. Um, something, yeah. It, it it scares me those kind of ideas. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because of not only the great stale ideas, but also the the potential for division. Mm-hmm. And um, lack of empathy sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, you know, you're you've um, you're working, you're doing your coaching. Uh, you you said you were developing some other new ideas and thoughts around uh, maybe a new book. That's right. You're thinking about bringing yeah. out. Well, I mean, we've we've explored some of the kind of content of that, really. But it's this—it's the conflict between the stories that we have in our heads about, you know, how confident, competent, and credible we are in the world, and the stories that we have to tell other people in order to move forward, grow our communities, get our audiences, or, or you know, sell our product. To be blunt, and when those two sets of stories are in conflict with each other, you know, people spot. If what you're telling them doesn't sound authentic or doesn't hang true or sounds like a kind of weird set of values clumped together. Um, and I think for a lot of folk, the, the business of thinking about promoting themselves and is around ironing out those conflicts, boosting their confidence in the areas where they need their confidence boosted so they can tell a better story where they can align what they're doing with their values more so they come over as more authentic although i don't believe authenticity is something you can invent for yourself you're that's bestowed on you by other people by virtue of the consistency and you what you do and the message that you put out there um yeah now i was thinking there in terms of you know the, the authenticity and putting those stories out there that that are really you there's um there's something around um, fear. Yeah. Fear of judgment. Yes. Yeah. For, for, and fear then, of failure, fear of sounding like an idiot. All of the, you know, all of the yeah. above are in play. And, and, you know, it's not just at the beginning those things are in play. They ebb and flow for all of us throughout our lives. It's a mercurial thing, confidence. 
Oh, are you back? No, I've always been here. Something went very quiet. I stopped speaking, and then it all went quiet for a while. I thought maybe you. Oh, I think I think I lost you slightly. Right. That's fine. No, okay. So I, the, you, what I last heard there was, um, so you were talking about uh, the fear of uh, looking s- stupid, fear, fear of failure. Um, what I was yeah. wanting to, you know, maybe yeah. end on and ask you about was really how you how you deal with that fear, or have you had any thoughts, or you know, you tried things to help people deal with the fear. Yeah, that's tricky because there are many of them and many many different types of them. Um, I, I mean, it's a it's a big generalization, but I feel sometimes that folk, the fear they're really dealing with is the the discomfort of fear itself, of the experience of fear, of the physical discomfort that comes with it, of the unpleasant bodily sensations that come with it. So every time they come into a, a stressful situation, they, they start avoiding or they, they put a door in the water and they don't like it and they back out and they don't go back in there because they don't understand that there are certain aspects of fear that, that never really go away and that one has to just familiarise yourself with and, and almost make friends with. Um so people talk to me about a fear of public speaking. It's not it's not public speaking that they're scared of. It's the unpleasant kind of feelings that go with stepping out in front of a group of people. Um, but but once folk realise that and they begin to just test and test and, and becoming more and more familiar with what those sensations really are and they get the structure and they get the story and they begin to go out there and uh, talk to people tentatively even to begin with and start to get the kind of positive feedback that comes with doing that and i think folk are very sympathetic towards nervous speakers at the outset the you know dopamine plays its role and the reward system kicks in and people finally think well you know what it might be a fearful process and it might have some unpleasant sensations associated with it but if i continue to do this thing there are some rewards associated with that and gradually over time folk become better at stepping up and overcoming that sensation of fear that is the thing that gets in the way. I know a lot of really top-level so public speakers. It's, it's and, very and, much... Sorry, so yeah, you was, I think you're saying... It, it, it sounds like from what you're saying it was very much around this... Um, uh, understanding that feeling and and kind of realizing that's natural yeah and and getting used to it yeah and in fact if it you know those fears are there to to inform us and guide us and to keep us out of trouble and that very process can be our best friend in certain circumstances as long as we don't let it stop us I think if you're getting up to deliver a speech and you have no fear that whatever you're doing is not challenging enough or you're not stretching yourself enough, you should be um, feeling a bit edgy about it if it's meaningful. Um, no, I think so. The thing that that springs up here is then is is just how these whether it's fear, anger, sadness, the, the, these feelings that that pop up that. Just because they're unpleasant doesn't necessarily mm. mean they're not useful. 
and if we're able to face into them and and feel them and understand them and yeah. and and sit with them then we can actually work with them to yeah. to then work yeah. more authentically or work more powerfully yeah absolutely i mean i talk a lot of the top range west end live stage actors suffer terrible stage fright and you know to the point of feeling physical sickness before they go on stage but what they've done is they've just learned to to work with that uh, and th- then when they come on stage they're really alive they're really electric they're connected to what they're doing and they understand that part of that is driven out of the the kind of uh, symptoms of the fear that go with that process. So bringing it uh, maybe into conclusion, but back to your around to your work, the way yeah. I see this now is that um, by identifying what these triggers are, basically these emotions are triggered by yeah. something, but we yeah. might not know what they are. Maybe they're hidden beliefs or hidden biases that we hadn't really looked into. Yeah. Um, by looking into these things, we don't necessarily get rid of the triggers and the emotions, but we then mm. understand why they're there and how we can work with them and then yeah. use them more positively. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that sums it up really nicely, actually. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Pete. Thank you for your time. It was it was wonderful, always wonderful talking to you, and it's always it's a, it's very clarifying and it's also very soothing as i'm sure many people have said you have a very soothing voice thank you <laughs> and so this is like the end uh i like to have a bit of a, a shameless promotion section mm. so you know you can start off by telling people if they wanted to find out more about your work or just get in touch um how could they find you what, what can you leave them with um, uh, on twitter at pete mosley that's p-e-t-e-m-o-s-l-e-y or um, i use linkedin a lot of folk are enthusiastic users of linkedin i write quite a lot of stuff on linkedin or if they search for that name on psychology psychology's magazine life labs channel um, they'll find the stuff that i write on there i think I think that's enough. And the book, of course, The Art of Shouting Quietly, which is available on Amazon from anywhere. Cool. And um, is there anything coming up in the next uh, – This well, this episode shall be coming out, I would say, mid-June, early June. Is there mm. anything coming up that you'd like to share with people, just if they catch you in time? I don't have any public events on um, in that kind of time scale, but uh, I would say just look out for the, the articles, really, that I'm producing, and, and by reading a few of those, it build up a picture of all of the stuff that we've just been talking about. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you very much, Pete. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you want to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, www.thehappystartupschool.com. You'll find out more about our community, the courses that we offer, and also the conversations and content that we're trying to create to help you get clear about how to build a purposeful business without burning out. So if you're trying to balance the money and the meaning, 
creating impact and avoiding imposter syndrome, then join us and our group and tribe of like-minded, caring, compassionate and flawed entrepreneurs on this journey trying to work out how to make money, do good and be happy.